Hello, friends. How's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know this show. If you're new to it, let me tell you what it is. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I extract, I do my very best, that is, to extract valuable information from their brains to help you do your best in career, in hobby, and in life. My guest on this episode is the world-renowned photographer, Joe McNally. Now, Joe and I have been friends for, I'd say, more than a decade. I think we referenced that a couple times in our show today. He is one of the most accomplished photographers of a generation with a list of accolades that I couldn't possibly do justice to in this little intro. And if you're sitting there like, I'm not, I'm not a photographer, I'm not sure if I want to listen to this episode, let me tell you something. The wisdom that Joe unpacks in this episode is will, will be for everyone. His focus, the focus of his work, it transcends generations, it transcends brand, it transcends purpose. He was the last full-time employee of Life Magazine. And if you think Life Magazine assigns some cool shit, you're absolutely right. He has photographed some of the most amazing humans on the planet. He's also done a, a bunch of commercial work for the Sonys, the Adidas, the GEs. And one of the things that he happens to be most famous for is an amazing collection of photographs that he created called Faces of Ground Zero, which honors the first responders to the 9-11 attacks. It is a stunning body of work. Um, I remember when I first saw the first pictures to come out, I actually, I teared up. It was incredibly emotional. And Joe accomplished this, you know, created this body of work with an amazing amount of humility, an amazing amount of empathy and sensitivity to the families, the people who were like, at the very core of that tragedy. Again, like there's so much more to his resume, but I'll just put those a couple of pins in there so that you know that we're, we're transcending just photography and talking about uh, how to connect with other humans, how to tell great stories. This is definitely a serious interview with Joe. Joe is crazy playful. He's super funny. He's one of the most self-deprecating guys you'll ever meet. I feel grateful to have tapped into some of the lessons that he's learned from so many decades of photography working across lots and lots of different, uh, I guess, areas of that craft. There is no other way to learn this stuff than being in the trenches. And, you know, as Joe has had, you know, 40 years plus in it. So, uh, so many good stories. It's really easy to miss the forest of the trees. I think generally we, we all lose track of that. But this particular episode is an opportunity to step back and look at the bigger picture of your own life. This introspection is one of our most valuable tools. We often miss it. And Joe will bring you right there. Uh, we also talk about in this episode, a, a thing a lot of people claim to possess, but not many actually do, which is tenacity. I use the word grit. I think it's the, it's the most highly desirable characteristic in entrepreneurs and specifically creative entrepreneurs. You know, he describes himself as a pit bull when he's got a camera. I think we can all learn from that. We also talk about the vital role of failure. And, you know, that's a, an important theme in the show, how we talk about stumbling and getting up from that stumble in order to as, as a vehicle to provide breakthroughs. And we also cover another thing which is rarely discussed, and that is the cost of being a high achiever. I think we put a lot of gold plating on being a quote a hustler, a 24-7, uh, you know, we, we we make it out to be very sexy. And Joe goes there. We talk 
you know, at a brutally honest level about the trade-offs of being wildly successful in your career and the trade-offs that often has with respect to one's own family life, how traveling, for example, can mean that you miss chunks of your kids growing up or can create separation from your spouse or partner. So this is a, a really unique insight from someone who has a lifetime of not just amazing achievements, but of wisdom and insight. I'm very excited for you to hear the show, so we should get into it. Before we do, I want to introduce a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today Creative Live as a part of the sponsor announcement wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free and they let you watch all of the Creative Life classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Joe, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. Thank Thanks you. for the invite. Oh, I'm, I, I've been waiting a long time for this. You haven't. You didn't know you were waiting but I've, I've been waiting to have you on the show for a long time because, well, because of many things. First of all, your wisdom. Uh, second of all, the show, the history of the show is uh, a lot of folks at home know, you know, my background is largely in photography. I've tried to sort of grow that footprint and help be a voice for creators all over the world. So this show early on was, it had a lot of photographers on it. They were disproportionately my peers at that point. And so it's been a while since I had a someone who's self-identified hardcore as a photographer, and that's you. So for the folks at home who don't know, I mean, I, I, could, I can and will go on and on about you throughout the course of the show, but for the folks who are new to the show or who don't know uh, about your background, can you give a little, like, give me the career arc. I know you went to journalism school and you bailed on the writing part to take up pictures mm -hmm. and go from there for us. Tell us a little bit of the backstory. That was a very gracious arc there. As my career has born been like, you know. Um, Fidgety, twitchy arc. Yeah, yeah, it's not an even path, as you well know. You know? Um, yeah, I'm, I identify as a photographer. It's the only thing I really know how to do. Uh, it's the only thing I want to do. You know? So uh, I fell into that. I wouldn't describe it as an accident, really. I mean, uh, I had to take this class. I took my father's camera in hand. It felt natural. I felt a connection. And secondarily, I started thinking to, this could keep me out of an office. 
I'm not an office person, I'm a field person. So uh, things tumbled forward from there. I came out of Syracuse University, the photojournalism program there, really at that point in time was churning out newspaper photographers. That's what I thought I would be. I thought I'd be a black and white, straight up newspaper shooter. I went to New York City, which was kind of a moment of idiocy, thinking I could crack the big city somehow as a green, untested, unlearned, learned, however you put that, photographer. Uh, the only job I could get was that of a copy boy at the New York Daily News, which was, in retrospect, a fantastic thing to have done because it was a hot type tabloid New York City newspaper that ran 1.5 million papers every night, had a staff photography, um, uh, or numbers of staff photographers were 55, 56, 57. Wow. Somewhere's in there. I mean, different era. Yeah, just completely wow. different. So I'm glad I got that window. Uh, long story short, you know, moved on from there. Daily News fired me, so I had to move on. Didn't have much of a choice. Uh, Did they fire you because your skills or because you were a smartass? No, they fired me in a staff layoff. You know, the, the economic rumblings that we currently experience or, or know to be experienced in the newspaper market now actually were present in faint tremors back then wow. of uh, you know, the newspaper's future. And so uh, last hired, first fired. You know, uh, did wire service work. Uh, I was what was called a stringer for any number of organizations, New York Times, uh, Associated Press, UPI, Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, fell into another job uh, which required me to shoot color. I was a staff photographer for ABC Television in New York. And that was a, a kind of a weird gig, you know, to be sure. Uh, you know, Susan Lucci, you know, on All My Children, then ABC Monday Night Football, then shooting a still life of an Emmy in the, in the studio, and then off on a documentary with 2020. You know, good versatility um, to be deployed there. You know, good kind of primer. Only stayed there for a year and a half. Um, started shoot color. Started to find that I had a good color palette, and then started freelancing for magazines. And I've been a freelancer ever since, except for a brief stint in the '90s where I, I came on board at Life Magazine as a staff photographer for about three and a half years. You were their last staff photographer ever, weren't you? Mm-hmm. I personally accept responsibility for the death of photojournalism. <laughs> You know, I'm the last, last one. Yeah, it was me. My bad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Shot a couple of bad rolls of film, or my, my right. first digital pictures with that point one megapixel camera. Um, so over that arc, we'll go back to the arc. You're still calling it bumpy. I'm paying a nice arc picture. Uh, some of the things, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is because you've seen so much, not just the transformation of an industry, not just because you get up and go to work as a maker every day, but because you've seen so much. You're always doing imitations of having photographed this particular star or this corruption moment in government, or you've seen so much. Give us some highlights for, for again, to recap, like New York Times, uh, Lifetime, National Geographic, the iconic um, opportunities for photojournalism. What have you seen? What's some shit that you've seen? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, ups, downs, and and sideways, you know, as uh, the world that you visit as a photographer is sometimes incredibly gracious and wonderful. The beautiful thing about being a photographer is that you oftentimes get assigned to go photograph somebody because they are so excellent at what they do. So you get to visit genius mm -hmm. and have a witness to that. 
uh, you know, I photographed, you know, Placido Domingo, Leonard Bernstein, uh, Tony Bennett, people like that for Life magazine, uh, who just enormously talented, you know, can be occasionally difficult, you know. Uh, uh, Lenny was a character, uh, you know, he, uh, I, I liked him very much. I actually loved him. He was, he was, uh, Difficult to be around, difficult occasionally to photograph. He also authored my most, one of my most embed. There's many uh, embarrassing moments as a photographer. I was assigned to photograph him uh, in upstate New York at. Uh, forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but I don't think I am. Tanglewood, uh, outdoor beautiful symphony space, shooting a cover for Newsweek, which I never got. Uh, Lenny wasn't feeling well couldn't get access to him, so I photographed him conducting, you know, in a real-time sense. The folks at the, at the uh, center were very nervous about having a photographer roaming around, and I was so desperate that I realized when he was taking his bows and walking off the stage, I didn't have even a semblance of a cover. And my assistant was, uh, had a flash, an old Norman 200B on a stick, and, and I was moving around, and I just, I went to Chris, I looked at him, and I said, uh, on the stage. And the two of us jumped on stage. You accosted him? Um, well, he knew, he, you know, he knew me. And, he, yeah. and I started photographing him as he was on stage taking his bows. And he's looking at me. And people are standing and applauding. And all of a sudden, I realized, holy shit, I just jumped on stage. <laughs> Needless to say, the administration of the, uh, of the conference center or the, the, the center there were not happy with me. Lenny loved it at the end of the... Because you made him look great. He's taking his bows in front of this, like, a... Um, he grabbed me by the waist at the end of it. He pulled me in. He gave me a big kiss on the lips, and, uh, <laughs> which was Lenny's standard, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, greeting or farewell. So you 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 end up witnessing amazing people, amazing things, disturbing things. You know, uh, you know. Uh, I've never been a, a war photographer per se, but I've seen some some you know terribly upsetting things, you know, over the course of time. You just do, because that's the world that we cover. Yep. Um, the, uh, the moments have been uh, certainly occasionally high, occasionally low. Uh, my own participation in photography has, has had a similar kind of a, a feel to it. You know, there's been years I've done well, there's been years I've done poorly. Uh, I used to teach it at the Eddie Adams workshop in upstate New York, and I was a team leader there for Oh, I guess maybe 14 years or something like that. And um, we would always, as team leaders, have to compile uh, a set of pictures, five pictures I think we were limited to, to introduce ourselves on stage. And I always tried to make it five pictures I had shot that year. And there were some years I remember, you know, I had a hard time coming up with five good pictures I had shot in a year. Keeping in mind your standards are... You know, <laughs> but, you know, you say to yourself, you know, what am I doing you know this has not been a good year creatively at all yeah um, so you have uh, years like that uh, I'm pretty dogged though I mean I, I really love photography I, I love the idea of uh, the interactions and relationships that can develop around the, the picture-making process yep. so I'm pretty uh, tenacious about that well tenacity is a thing I, I've I don't know I think we're coming up on a hundred of these episodes and tenacity is regardless of genre of creator, whether you're a movie star, a photographer, uh, a scientist, uh, you're a builder. That, and and a tenacity to overcome adversity, tenacity to um, break into an industry that ha is historically very few people can break into. So in your own words, tell me a little bit about what that tenacity 
A, what does it look like? Like, you know, what does it feel like? And then what do you feel like that has provided for you um, throughout your career? Tenacity. Sure. Uh, Describe it because people talk about the tenacity is, I hate the word risk because it's just such a, oh, that's risky. But, you know, what are you risking? Are you risking losing your life or are you risking, you know, losing 10 bucks? Mm-hmm. And sort of, t- I think tenacity has that same. It's very easy to say, "Oh, I'm that person so tenacious." But what does tenacity look like for Joe McNally? You know, as photographers, we hear no a great deal, and that can be really deadening to the spirit if you're not a frickin' tenacious person. Um, and tenacity has a you know, you, you described it in broad terms. Yes, specifically for me, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bulldog when it comes to a, a, a situation with a camera in my hands. I, you don't want me to be assigned to you, you know, because <laughs> I will not give up. You know, um, I, I got sent many years ago by Sports Illustrated to photograph Seve Ballesteros, who is an unbelievably good uh, professional golfer, uh, now deceased, sadly. Uh, I was sent to Pedrena in Spain with an assistant by Sports Illustrated, and I showed up at his doorstep, and he looked at me, and he said, my agent told me that I could do this story, and it would be done in an hour. And I said, you know, Sports Illustrated doesn't send two people halfway around the world to photograph for an hour. And the battle was on, you know, and I battled him for a week you know, and he would come up to me on the, I would stalk him, yeah. you know, he'd go out to, for a practice round, I'd be in the bushes with a 400 millimeter lens. He knew I was there, you know, and he'd come up to me and says, you're bothering me. And I was like, the fur came off really, you know, during like, you know, the, the varnish sort of evaporated. Yeah. And I thought, dude, you play golf, you do pressure putts in front of 10,000 people's at the Masters. I'm one photographer and I'm bothering you. Uh, and so we fought it out, we fought it out, we fought it out, and I managed to carve out a story. Sometimes it's a grind, sometimes it's a pulled tooth. Yeah. It's not kind of this gift, you know. It's, I think too many people, and you know, I think as an industry we might be a little bit responsible for this, where photographers might say, oh God, it was, it was so beautiful. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that happens to me like once every 10 years yeah, where the angels the, sit yeah. on my shoulders. And, <laughs> the poetry and, moment, right? And I was like, oh my God. For most of the time, this is work. And any time you have a, a career that is based on one vector, like, I, you know, I don't do brain surgery on the weekends. I'm a photographer, you know. There's no part-time about this at all. So I wake up in the morning, I think about it. I go to sleep at night, I'm dreaming up pictures, you know, because the unromantic thing about being a photographer, making a living at this, is that every day you have to find a way to turn your time or your pictures into money. And that is, as I say, not romantic, and it's not kind of wandering the streets of Morocco in the late light, and it was beautiful. No, it's like, you know, I got, I got uh, 15 <coughs> minutes to shoot a CEO who doesn't want to be photographed. You know, but they're going to pay me $2,500 or whatever it is for that session. So, um, so you, whether uh, the good assignments, the bad assignments, the indifferent assignments, you accept the fact of failure on a regular basis and you just keep fighting through it. Tenacity is, as I said earlier, it is a core element of the personality of 
a hundred out of the hundred people who sat on this couch and who've talked about their career. Uh, failure also comes up a lot. You mentioned it twice, mm -hmm. at least twice in that last little, um, in that last little uh, dialogue that we had. Talk to me about failure, about, um, about your experience. Sure. Um, constant component of what we do is failure. Uh, failure, as someone once said very famously, failure is a form of progress. You know, you can't help but learn from failures. And if you're on easy street all the time, something's wrong. Uh, or your self-assessment is seriously skewed. <laughs> you yeah, know? One of those two things must be true. <laughs> you right? know, um, I have failed many times in my career. Sometimes it's been sort of uh, disastrous in terms of a relationship with a client. Uh, sometimes it's been just a failure of will or ego or you feel like you, you didn't have, and this is the beautiful thing actually about getting older with a camera in my hands is that when I was younger, certain kinds of pressure would make me start vibrating like a tuning fork. You know, somebody tell me I haven't got any time to work. Uh, you know, I had an early assignment. I used to shoot a great deal for People magazine, which I loved. Uh, People actually back in the day was a black and white pretty journalistic magazine. Always had the star thing going on, but it was also kind of a cool book to shoot for. And I got a lot of really good assignments from people, uh, one of which was to spend uh, an evening with Cher. You know, and I just, I look back on that night and I came up with some okay pictures, you know, but I realized afterwards that uh, she steamrolled me, you know, that I just couldn't draw a line in the sand and say, no, we're going to, no, no, I need more time, no, you know, and that teaches you a lesson, you know, as you go forward, you grow, you grow more confidence, you, you Were those pictures failures? Is this a recovery from failure? Is this a... They, I, they were failures relative to what I could have or should have done. I have a picture in my head that I should have done, and I, I thought about it. You know, it's, there were two dumbbells sitting in the corner of her suite at the Morgan, uh, or, uh, she was in the Morgan penthouse on Madison Avenue, and uh, the, the editorial instincts failed in me. This title, or the, the gist of the story, is right after she had done Moonstruck, was Cher's newfound Hollywood muscle and I should have had her take her jacket off and start doing some bicep curls or something yeah. with these weights with all of New York behind her, and I didn't. And she came to the door, posed quietly, and then said, we gotta go, and I got a picture that ran as the lead, you know, but, you know, that old philosophy, uh, you know, if you can't make them good, make them big and in color. You know, well, this one was black and white, but it was big, so it had yeah. some impact, but I knew, I knew this was hollow. This was yeah. not what it should have been. So I failed on that assignment, you know. I failed any number of times, you know. Uh, there's certain things that stick with you and kind of gnaw at you those those moments because that's what photography is all about. It's about that uh, intersection, and you make that intersection permanent by photographing it. And if you miss it, then it's downstream. It's over and never to be reclaimed. So specifically, any pictures that you were a quarter of a second late that it stand out to you? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, one of my, oh God, um, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like pulling, pulling neck hairs out <laughs> one at a time here. Can I, can I put the pillow down here and stretch out <laughs> and say, right. doctor, You're on the couch. yes, I had this terrible childhood. <laughs> um, but no, I, I um, 
you know, there, when I was growing up as a, as a kid, I worked a lot for the Associated Press, and there was a very gracious gentleman, uh, Tommy DeLustro, who was the AP editor. And uh, I was shooting Belmont Stakes. He gave me um, uh, finish line, you know. First test, like the fourth, fourth, fifth race, bang on, you know. It was back in the day when you would soup your film right there at the park, yeah. and then they would transmit right from the park. Translation, what that means is you develop your own film right there and you clip out, you, you, you probably are doing a little bit of editing in the field as well, right? Or are you just sending the roll off? What you do is you bag it yeah. and a messenger runs it back to some poor dude who's in a dark room the size of a telephone booth yeah. and he's hot souping in AccuFine all the photographer's films, you know, that are coming in. So, and then the editors are moving so fast, they edit wet yeah. and just, run a black and white strip across an agfa loop looking at a fluorescent light and and pick the shot and they those wire service editors were good at yeah. that you know um and uh, sorry go back back here the belmont stakes fourth race yeah everything's cool tommy goes film was clean joe looked perfect okay i go out and uh for the eighth race and i blew it or was it the eighth race or the last race of the day was the stakes and uh, I blew it. I was uh, I keyed on the favorite, and didn't realize, or uh, I was tight on a, on my lens, and I keyed on the favorite, and didn't realize that the horse that won the race um, was actually north of my lens. And I swung at the last minute to pick up the leader, and completely out of focus. And Tommy was so gracious; he taught me a good lesson. Some editors would have just literally almost beat the snot out of you, yeah. you know? And Tommy said, Joe, I want to talk to your film later. All right. I knew, I knew. And he took me to the side. He didn't embarrass me. He didn't take my pants off in front of all the other photographers. Yeah. He, he said, you know, film was, was off. You know, I can't use it. And I had a I had, um, couple of things I learned that day, how to accept failure, how to, um, how to treat failure if, you know, I ever had to critique another photographer. And also, um, Getting firm footing, I was, I was, uh, when I swung, my left foot slipped, I always remember, and I was, I was off, you know, I was off. So you, you take that experience into other things, bigger things. I shot the first three launches and landings of the space shuttle, and those were difficult assignments because your normal lens from a manned position was about uh, 800 to 1,000 millimeters. I had 1,200, um, I had an 800, had a 600 on a camera bar on a heavy-duty tripod and you'd wire all three cameras to a foot pedal and then your tight lens was your was your the lens that you would measure with that would if you stayed in register on your tight lens all the other lenses followed along so you know and the rocket goes and you just push on that bar and you just follow 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 and it's not easy you know because you know the rockets rumbling people are screaming um and that'll just flat rattle some yeah. folks you know so i learned you know about um just you know staying within yourself staying calm in that moment uh, uh the return of the hostages people screaming and shouting as the buses came in to west point um forget it block it out um stay focused um stay with the action you have a job to do you know that those were important lessons that early failures taught me in many ways later on of course there are other you know things that just would happen you know um 
failures of mind, body, and will, failures of gear. Um, it's always, it's a, it's, it sits on your shoulder. Yeah. You know, Murphy is in your <laughs> camera bag, always well to, ready to jump out. That damn law. You know? Um, so this show isn't about photography, but it's about creativity. It's about learning and making and doing and being and becoming the, the people that we want to become. And so many of your examples are obviously keyed specifically into your career, and that's why you're on the show. But how about you do the work for me for a second and extrapolate around that concept of failure, um, not in gear or in cameras or in focus, but in life. Like, what are some of the things that you feel like you look back on and maybe you gave this for your career and you, you wished you wouldn't, or you only gave so much of this around your craft and you wish you would have given more. Like, this is like sort of capital F failure rather than on assignment. you have any of those stories? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the little failures, yeah, the day-to-day -day stuff, the bigger failures, I, I think, are, you know, more crucial, more pertinent to your life in, in many ways. Um, you know, I have, I have two kids, you know, and I'd be the first one to say I, I'm not, was not the best father in the world, you know, because I missed a lot of stuff. And uh, the geographic was such, uh, uh, it's like the sirens on the shore, you know, and uh, I would, I started shooting for the geographic when my oldest daughter was really small and I would go away for weeks at a time. And that, I think, contributed to a sense of uh, failure as a parent. I mean, and we all have those moments where like, oh my God, you know, I'm screwing these kids' lives up or, you know, I'm just, uh, and, uh, but that physical removal from the, uh, the formative years of youth for your kids, that could be, you know, I think construed as a, as, uh, a failing, yeah. you know, I chose that life. Yeah. I chose that life and I think about it sometimes as, as um, did I really have to do that? I, I had the skills to become a corporate photographer and, and make a decent living and, and be home. Was it my own ego? Was it my own uh, need to um, play on a certain level of stage? Uh, was it my own sense of curiosity and drive? Whatever those things combined to be, uh, I chose to be who I was, and that I think could be construed as a as a uh, as a failure on what a certain ab level. What, yeah. What about um, one of the things that I have gone on record saying is that if people knew what it took to achieve X, fill in the blank. Um, I have used my own career, and I've heard this from the career of others. They might not go for it. But with anything, it's like great risk. Like, What does it take to, to flip the story on its head for a second? To be a great parent, it takes an unbelievable, insane a lifetime of, of sacrifice and focus. And I think the same could be true for success in a career. So to, to use that same um, story that you were just telling about your relationship to your daughters as a parent, could you have achieved the success that you achieve, you've dropped casually and without ego and almost incidentally 
the names of the top, every single one of the top publications of the last hundred years. You've just mentioned them. Oh, and then I was on this story for SI. And, and, and could you have achieved what you achieved without compromising on your role as a father? Probably not. Uh, I think any, uh, any objective you have in life needs a sense of constancy. And, you know, I can find all sorts of rabbit holes to run into and say, well, I had to make a living. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to provide. You know, paying mortgages and school bills and all that sort of stuff. And what could I give back to the kids? I gave back to the kids a sense of adventure. And, you know, I would take them with me when I could, you know. My kids are well-traveled. My youngest daughter has been to China three times, Malaysia, you know, Tokyo. I mean, you know, so you try to compensate. But I think, yeah, especially as a young photographer, I, I think, again, one of the beauties of getting a bit older about this is that there is finally, <laughs> finally, some sense of perspective. Yeah. You know, um, and I've had photographers, younger photographers I've talked to are kind of breathless in their own egoistic way. And you do need an ego in this field. There's no two ways about it. You yep. gotta say, you gotta convince people to follow your lead, um, have ideas, be articulate about those ideas. You can't be a, 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 a wilting flower in the corner and succeed as a photographer. But there are times I think when I look back where all of us who came up at a certain point in time in photography thought that this was just going to go on forever. Yeah. You know, and that the world kind of spun around, you know, uh, our pictures, our efforts, and, and we felt that it was important work, and certainly some of it was, but there was also uh, this, uh, you know, wisdom that starts to occur naturally over time when you realize achieve some perspective here, Joe, um, or anyone, you know. Um, you did this work, and this sounds a little harsh uh, because people do care, but you have to kind of give yourself a, a check and say, nobody really cares, you know. Like, uh, I, sh I had the cover of Life and the cover of National Geographic in the same month <laughs> at one point in time. And I was like, whoa. Hey. And I realized, shut up about it because nobody cares. Actually, they care um, so little about it, they don't even want to know about it. They don't even <laughs> want you to drop that in a conversation because it's freaking obnoxious. So you stay quiet about it. I think one thing I have learned over time, uh, and this is nothing new, um, if your achievements are substantial, you don't have to shout about them. They speak for themselves. Any photographer who steps forward and says, you know, that kind of thing, sorry about that. The the microphone, yeah. take it. There's a microphone here, Joe. <laughs> wah, wah. Um, uh, I've read blogs and listened to photographers who have said, well, I think this picture will go down as being my most iconic. You know, when someone says that, um, you know a couple of things. You know the picture's not iconic, and you know that they know it. So they're trying to reassure you yeah. of its status. If it's iconic, dude, <laughs> just, just leave it alone, because yeah, it will point. shout <laughs> volumes louder than you can. Yeah. You know? So uh, humility is a, is a huge lesson that I think you need to learn. And 
um, to shrug. Look, at the end of the day, what am I? I'm a freelance photographer. You know, uh, you spend time with FDNY. And that, you know, in, in a firehouse, there's always, there's always a character they call a topper. If you've got a good story, he's got one He's better. got a better story. <laughs> if you got laid last night, he got laid five times. You know, I mean, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. So um, you learn, you know, and I've spent a lot of time with FDNY, good bunch of people, you know, and we pulled out, I, I did a project that uh, to a great deg degree was about FDNY after 9-11. And uh, they're big prints, they're, they're uh, life-size prints. Anyway, hard to move this stuff around. The crates are 2,000 pounds. We didn't have any money at all. But the firefighters, I talked to a few people, they wanted, we wanted to stage it at the Firefighters Museum in New York. It's an incredible it, body of work, by the way. Just, to, just a small pause there, incredible. Oh, well, it's an incredible group of people I was able to stand in service of. You know, and so we brought this stuff out. The crates are 2,000 pounds, and so firefighters volunteered, went over to the storage area, and they're pulling and hauling on these crates. And I'm in there foolishly, like trying, hey, you know, I'm, not, I'm like the kid in the touch football game in fifth grade who's got the short arms, you know, hey, can I play? Can I play? You know, um, and I'm pushing on this crate, and Keith Johnson, who's just a wonderful guy at Ladder Six, just, just freaking straight arms me, and he pushes me away from the crate. And he goes, Joe, stay away from the crates. He goes, we're firefighters. We got lifetime disability. You throw your back out on this thing? He goes, what's going to happen to you? He goes, Joe, you're a freelance photographer. Nobody gives a shit about you. <laughs> and I was like, like true words were never spoken, yeah. you know? Um, and so that, that you know, you, you get glimmers, you know, uh, uh, over the course of time that glimmers of wisdom that hopefully become part of your, of your, your daily you know, expression of yourself as a photographer. Yeah. Uh, humility is a hu huge part of it. And uh, just accepting the fact that you have a, a certain role, you can do certain things, but at the end of the day, that's just a, a small, small piece of a much larger picture that you're, you might graciously be a part of, you know? Yeah. Um... I think the <clears throat> one of the things, the sacrifice that goes into hitting the level that you have achieved at your craft, and the same could be said for any, any number of folks who are at the apex of their career, again, whether it's a, you're a filmmaker or an entrepreneur, the sacrifice, at some point, every person has questioned it. They've said, wow. Was this worth me being this sort of a spouse or this sort of a father or this sort of a human in order to bulldoze all of this stuff to get the things that you wanted? And I think one of the reasons that I'm interested in exploring this with you here is because I think there's so many people who are on the other end of this camera or this, this interview or this audio mic thinking, like, I definitely want to do this because that's how I will judge my worthiness, X, Y, Z. And the message that I want to send, and I'm looking for your either agreement with this or your point of view, the message that I'm trying to send is, hey, you know what? You can be a photographer and have a great time and just take pictures of your kids. You don't have to go to 11. You can shoot baskets and coach the high school basketball team, and that can be phenomenal. And it's not about playing in the NBA and winning the title and the MVP of the whatever, because that, that fraction of a fraction of a, a folk while they're worthy of a lot of attention and adoration, 
that's actually not what it's all about. So give me a little bit of perspective on that from your point of view. Is that, it's kind of, I'm trying to distill a little bit what I heard you say, and I'm wondering if I'm saying too much in your place. No, I, I think it's absolutely accurate. I think I coach a lot of people, and I say basically very similar to what you said. Look, you don't have to go to Afghanistan to be a good photographer or to shoot worthwhile pictures. First of all, shoot what you love, and then make it easy on yourself, um, make it accessible. You know, if you have to get on a plane, there's going to be times you're not going to do it, you know, especially if this is a self-generated thing. Um, there's going to be things that will interfere. Uh, again, become the, um, the documentarian of your son's um, soccer team, yeah. you know, and offer up your services in that way. Uh, make it something that's near to your heart and near to you physically. Those things will work together to produce a good body of work. Uh, you don't have to, you know, just go over the top. Yeah, there's, there's two groups of folks that, that this show is in service of. The people who, what we talk about going from one to ten, that's you've identified as a creative and you want to get better, and whether you want to get better to a six or a ten, and whether you want to, you know, shoot your kid's bar mitzvah or you want to shoot um, uh, British royalty and want to be the photography for British royalty, photographer for British royalty, whatever your scale is. And then there's a whole other group of people and this is who I'm speaking to right now, the folks that are like, should I t is it worthwhile to, to make creativity a part of my daily life? I might be in a career that I'm stuck in, I don't love it, but that there is, there is just value in creating regardless of achievement. So if you could take a second and talk to the people who you undoubtedly encounter these people in your life who don't identify as creative, mm -hmm. What would you tell them about, for example, the act of photography? The, this sounds like an old saw, but <laughs> the, the simplest pictures are the best. Uh, I have a colleague, I don't even know her all that well, but she's retired now, Pam Spaulding. She was at the um, Louisville Courier Journal, and she did a story on birth. And she got intrigued. I'm synopsizing this in the most rudimentary way. Um, she liked the family, and they were an average family. Like, you know, what do we do as photographers? Like, we bring people into the studio because they're like, like some big biker dude with a lot of tattoos because they look really cool, you know? Or some amazing athlete who's got a body that's like, looks like a Greek god, you know? We don't go to the family down the block that's got a couple of kids and goes to work every day because it's like, Boring, yeah, right. Well, she went back uh, to this family. Baby just came home. She said, "Well, let me take another couple of steps." Photographed the baby coming home. Kept photographing. Kept photographing. Twenty-five years later, and like I have two or three children. I'm not getting the facts completely right here. The idea was she made a, a documentary arc out of this family's life. She's actually photographed, I believe, these kids she saw being born. She's photographed their weddings. And this is a phenomenal Unbelievable document, project. Yeah. you know? And she did it largely self-generated. And, uh, you know, so you couldn't pick anything more mundane, yeah. you know, because that's what people do. They have babies, they make a family, they go to work. And she found beauty and joy in the simplicity of day-to-day -day life. Vivian Meyer. Vivian Meyer. Yeah, it's an amazing documentary about a photographer whose work was uh, all, 
you know, no one knew about it. This is a woman who didn't identify as a photographer, didn't tell other people she was a photographer, took pictures in her own spare time, and developed the film, stashed it, and left there was hundreds of roles that were never developed, and someone stumbled on this archive, and it's just phenomenal work. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily about the, the end result of your work, but about the process. Is that the takeaway? What's your takeaway there? It is the process, and it's also, um, you know, because process is kind of a dry word, mm -hmm. and photography is anything but dry. You know, yeah. it's wet, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> you know, it's dripping, it's bleeding. It's, right. you know, um, it, photography becomes an extension of your, your head and your heart, to be sure. It also becomes a gift. What I have found over time is that uh, the people who get in front of your lens, there's an exchange of gifts. And they, you know, some things, you know, a very cursory thing, thank you, oh yeah, bye, yeah, sure. I, I mean, you know, um, you know, you know, we're not gonna exchange Christmas cards. This was a commercial transaction. But I, I find those pictures are less important to you over time than the, the relationships you develop with people who might have gotten in front of your camera in a stressful time in their life or they are, you're, you're photographing them because they, they're ordinary folks who did something significant or something like that, grandmother of the year, whatever it might be, you know. Uh, and I think that exchange of gifts is really profound because uh, you, uh, you treat them well at camera, they give you the gift of their presence. There's this, it's, oh, you know, a really good photo session is like Christmas morning. Yeah, it feels good. You yeah. know, it just, uh, there's good feelings all around. Um, you are one of the hardest working, uh, most humble people that I know who's been as successful as you have. Uh, brag about yourself for a second. What are you great at? What, do you, what are you world class at? <laughs> Not too many people know this, Chase, but I, you know. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, Imitations, clearly, for one. Um, uh, cartoon uh, voices, for two. Uh, no, Lord. tell me. Um, what, do you, what, uh, what do you realize I mean, you're, you're obviously a very self-aware person, but what can you point a picture, or point a, put, put a pin in about yourself where, where you know you're world-class at these things? Well, let's still put it in the category of trying on a day-to-day -day basis, because, um, I mean, the most important role I have right now in my life that I try every day at is to be a good husband. That is far and away the most important thing to me for the rest of my life. You know, and because I'm at a happy point in my life, yeah. And I cherish that a great deal. There's been many times that photography became again a rabbit hole for me to run into because of a great deal of unhappiness, uh -huh. and uh, none of that exists anymore on my horizon. So, if it came down to a choice of like be a good husband and stay at home and not do photography anymore, the choice yeah. to me is at this point in my life is obvious. Um, so I do try for that. Um, in terms of a, a purely photographic, you know, accomplishment or, or something that I think I'm good at or we're good at, because as you know, your studio is a reflection of you, the people around you, it's a team effort. Uh, I think we treat people well. I think we're really very fair-minded about that. Uh, we do business well. We are honest to a fault, we're straightforward. We uh, tell people 
what the deal is on our end of things. If they're going to meet us at a certain point, then we're going to get together and do this. There's no shifting. There's no, um, uh, you know, uh, what ifs or, you know, yeah, let's, let's, you know, you know, maybe we won't give them those pictures or, you know, there's yeah, none of that. No slipperiness. You yeah. know, this, this is it. This is who we are. My name's on the door. I, I, and I tell my assistants whenever, you know, I get a new assistant over time or, you know, I says, look, I, I, take, I take the credit, I take the blame. I don't blame you for anything, okay? You are part of the team, and if things go well, I'm like, hey, yeah, okay, oh, thank you very much, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. Things don't go well, it's me. Yeah. It's on me. So I have a really serious responsibility uh, to treat people well who we encounter photographically and also to treat the people around me well and be fair-minded. Uh, if the studio does well, everybody does well, you know. Uh, and so that to me is a very, very important part of my life that photography is this gift. It's this amazing thing. I've had a career and a life. I put kids through college um, and, uh, you know, paid mortgages and with nothing except what has come through that lens. And I'm still standing and I'm still doing it. So if you wanna you know, throw a dart at the wall and say, that's an achievement, then okay, I'll, I'll be comfortable with that. Absolutely world class. You've built, built an amazing, not just a living and a life, but you have given back to so many people. I mean, a thousand people showed up physically in buildings who learn from you in Washington DC so at least a thousand people we know you've been on all of the shows and all of the you know your own social reach is is massive uh, you've done an amazing job giving that same gift that you have to so many people so don't forget about that one because that's one of the reasons you're uh, here in Seattle where we're recording this right now you're doing a creative live coming up pretty soon mm -hmm. we're just hoping to amplify that but you're an, an incredible Educated. Is it? I'm, I'm breaking the wall here, but I'm asking, like, in the all hands meeting, I, I, I called Joe the best photographic educator, educator of all time. Did I not? Yeah. Is that, what I, is that right? I'm pretty, I'm, close that. pretty close to that. There you go. Um, so thank you from me and the community. You're an amazing, amazing asset to the, to the world. Uh, let's go in a little bit of a rapid fire. Okay. What's the morning look like for Joe McNally? Morning. Morning, uh, usually up between uh, 5 and 6 a.m. Um, usually some sort of oatmeal. Oatmeal, okay. Yep, yep. Uh, trying to stay away from juice. Trying to lose the weight, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's easy to slug back a pint of juice, isn't it? Oh, it's God like you don't have to blink you and you're know, like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. You know, uh, Annie and I are together at home. She, her workstation is the kitchen, really because she loves it there because Sammy the cat comes down and sits next to her computer and she's able to, to scratch Sammy behind the ears <laughs> all day long. And Sammy, of course, doesn't object. Of course. <laughs> you know, I go downstairs, our workroom is downstairs and uh, we have four workstations. I go to my workstation and uh, sometimes for longer than this, but you know, for 30 minutes or an hour, I do uh, social media. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that I learned a long time ago, somebody who was teaching about social media said, remember, it's social. It's a two-way street. You can't just have people sending you questions and not respond or, you know, sending you messages and like, hey, Joe, I really like that. So be gracious, respond. I don't get to everybody, but I try my best to, 
to do that. And then I pay attention to our Instagram feed, try to orchestrate you know, what might be a coherent approach to that. Uh, I've got writing to do oftentimes, a, a blog upcoming or, or maybe an article that someone has asked me to write, uh, catch up on email and that. Before you know it, it can be nine o'clock in the morning and you're looking around and I'm still in my pajamas and my sweats and, and it, it's people in the office start coming in and they're not unused to seeing me with my hair like up to here and like, you know, and, uh, um, and that is oftentimes the way the day starts. Are there any key habits that you have that you describe to some of your success? Like you always, uh, you know, you run five times a week, you meditate, you eat oatmeal in the morning, you, um, remind yourself that you're only as good as your last picture or as your next picture? Like, what, is there a set of tools and or habits that you feel like that have either contributed to your success or been a pain in the ass? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, when I'm home, I try to get to the gym. And the earlier in the day I can get to the gym, the more it translates into my frequency. Yeah. You know, because it gets later Strength in the day, you start to, things, right? you lose the, the urge. Um, and, you know, I try to be unafraid of my imagination. So, and I realize that I'm not the most productive person in the world at the, at the studio. Like everybody else is there like banging away, shipping pictures. Lynn, my blessed studio manager, has got the fiercest work ethic, like right up there with Annie actually, because Annie is our director of social media marketing. Uh, and they work so hard and they're so organized and I kind of am envious of that in a lot of ways because I spend part of my day staring out the window. But at the end of the day, I realize that's probably the most valuable thing I can do because that's where ideas come from. Photographers nowadays especially have to be very proactive about the creation of their own future. The phone doesn't ring the way it used to. Maybe for certain photographers, does certainly does not at our studio. And I think that's a pretty universal condition. There's just not as much work as there used to be. There's more work, but more people. And there's a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of them are good. Yeah. You know, um, I'm sure you experience in the commercial market, you're triple bidding a job. And, you know, if you get wind of who was also in the mix with you, you realize good photographers, yeah. you know, they're out there, you know. So fierce. That's the level of competition out there. So... Uh, you know, when I think of things, I try to, to translate into what could that be in terms of a proposal? Uh, what, how could I push this to a magazine, to an entity? How could I create funding for this? How could I maybe use a workshop invitation to get me to a place where I could chip away at a story? Um, so that aspect of daydreaming, I, th I think, is... Um, while apparently worthless, because <laughs> you know, I could see somebody looking and saying, "What's he doing?" You Seriously, know? still staring like, out the window. <laughs> it's actually the most valuable part of my day. You know, and daydreaming a, is the most valuable part of your day. I love you know, that. that's the that's a, a constant with me. I have a good imagination. I will definitely embrace that. Uh, I grew. I went to five different grammar schools, so I was always the new kid. So I oftentimes found myself, you know, kind of, you know, trying to fit in, maybe having some success, whatever. But I also found early on that I had, you know, I had this, I would read stuff, you know, comic books, fantasies, epics, you know, Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. And it's funny, I, I think that still translates to my photography 
today. Um, the uh, point, uh, hero point of view, strong color palette. Uh, comic books are a very powerful storytelling yeah. device. Great, you know, panel to panel, those folks know what they're doing to move you through things. And so, uh, so all of that wraps up into like this sort of daydream world that I, I think about. All right, who's the hero of this story? How can I make this work? Like today, I had a client. I spent an hour on uh, with a client on the phone before I came here. We're going to shoot next week for them, and we're working out the schedule. And they were like, you know, what? Do you, uh, here's the parameters. Uh, got any ideas? You know. Okay, nor director. You know, yeah. just, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that. You know. So you're instantly spooling up that imagination process that facilitates hopefully your photographs. I love the. Uh I think it's a John Cleese line that creativity isn't a um, gift, it's a habit, or isn't a gift, it's a process, or something like that. It's, it's just, it's like, it's like anything, you go to work, you go to work imagining, and the more you imagine, the more capability you have for imagination. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that you have a, a habit of daydreaming and that you support that, I think that's really cool. Um, adjectives to describe, um, or, yeah, adjectives to describe a legacy that you might have. Uh, fairness, decency, hopefully. Respect to my colleagues. You know, I think, you know, I grew up in an era, this, I don't want this to sound like a rant because it's not. I accept the democracy of digital. I embrace it. I love the fact that there's more people out there shooting pictures than ever before. It's a fantastic thing. There is kind of this little bit of a gray zone where there's this tipping point where someone might think of themselves all of a sudden as being a pro photographer. Yeah. And might not be warranted. Yeah. Let me put it in genteel <laughs> terms. Um, I grew up in an era where if you were a pro, you were a pro. You know, and in the circle of folks that you know, were around me very blessedly at, when I came up uh, shooting for the Time Inc. group of magazines. I mean, the legacy of photography there is very powerful. Um, if someone described you as a pro's pro, that was high praise. It meant you could do anything with a camera. And that, you know, when things go sideways, that's where it comes into play, you know, that you can really still produce through adversity photographs that are um, telling stories and communicating well. So, yeah, I mean, I, would, I think the respect of my colleagues is something that has always been an important component for me, that if they hear my name, they're like, oh, yeah, he's a good shooter. Yeah. We've spent a little bit of time talking about the zero to one group and how do you think about creativity and that you don't have to be a pro to enjoy the craft of making stuff. Um, what would you say is, um, if we address the one to ten group, the ten that, that I, the, the group that identifies as creative, beyond the craft, how important is all of the stuff beyond the craft? Of course, you need to be able to take a good picture, and ideally using Ira Glass's idea of the creative gap, and that's the gap between the picture you see in your head and the one you can take, or the painting you see in the head and the one you can paint. That's the craft. Beyond the craft, 
What do you think is important for those folks who are trying to take their work from a one to a 10 or their industry or whether they're trying to make a living or a life or some money or get recognition? Talk to me about, or talk to the audience, the people who are watching and listening, what beyond the craft would you coach people to think about? I would say this about craft. It's necessary, but it's also the easiest thing to learn about this. I mean, you know, F4 is F4. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of compromise or leeway there. Yep. You know, once you identify these relationships that are involved in the craft of photography, that becomes bedrock, that becomes necessary. But it's like a computer program that's running in the back of your head. It should never be in the front of your head. You know, it's just that underpinning of technical knowledge that's going to support what you want to say. And that, learning that, learning, like, what do I want to say with this photograph? There's a lot of, of really kind of um, pretty work, you know, that gets done in this digital age, you know, that we're uh, 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 very much about single imagery, you know, you know, banner on the website, click, you know, uh, an unrelatable picture or a, a picture that's floating there that might be kind of interesting, but it doesn't move beyond that. So one of the things that is the hardest thing to do, I think, as a photographer is make pictures that have interrelationships that move the reader, the viewer, from point A to point B to point C, etc. that take them not only on an informational journey, but also on an emotional one. Uh, to get a picture in the National Geographic in its heyday, uh, the picture had to fire on at least three cylinders. Had to be pictorially successful, you know, had to be attractive. Technically, yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, had to stop you, like a little bit of eye candy to it, maybe stop you on the page. It had to be informational, move the story along, and it had to be at its best emotionally involving. That's when you uh, have your viewer sort of kind of in the palm of your hand because then you've hooked them and you make them stop and you make them aware and you convey understanding and you make them hungry for more and you make them actually bear down and go through this journey with you. It's a very hard thing to do, right? Yeah. I mean, you have this visceral emotional experience in front of your lens. How many times have you been out there and you just like are lathered up about the photographs that you're making and you bring them back to the computer and it's like, the fuck was I thinking? Yeah. You know, um, you know, because <laughs> none of this on the screen has the emotional immediacy of what I was seeing out there. Because it got to translate through this infernal machine. This machinery that we've got here is still, it's a marvelous thing. Cameras, digital cameras are fantastic, but they're also still a machine. They, they are between us and the experience. So how do I convince somebody that what I'm seeing right here in Seattle is going to be informative to them in Tokyo. They're not here with me. They're not having that experience. How do I convey the importance of that experience? And that's where all of that craft comes together, swirls together with the way you um, identify moments, the way you parse things out emotionally that has, it's like um, Bill Allard at the Geographic, who's a phenomenal storyteller. He likens a good photograph to counterpoint in music. You know, just kind mm. of that tempo shift or something. I, I grew up with a bunch of photographers who, you know, um, 
really felt very validly that photographs, Carl Maidens used to say it at Life, the, the, uh, the, the camera is the most important force for social change in history. And I firmly believe that when you see an incredibly powerful photograph, you are changed forever. There's something in your compass that just got tilted. And you might not be aware of it right then and there. It's just a little bit, but it's with you now forever. That photograph will never leave you. People remember photographs more than they remember the moments. I've, been, I've heard that the moment is, because a photograph does such a good job, if it's successful in not only encapsulating the emotions that you felt while you were there, if you were the picture taker or if you were an observer, but it just does a, it, it, it's like a tidy little package for these soft things that we've got in our skulls to hang on to. Mm -hmm. And if you can package those things up, I think that's, that's um, as you said, the sign of, like a, of a successful picture. Um, all this stuff beyond the craft, uh, I think, is so important for any industry. It's not just about photography. It's, there's the skill. I think about language, for example. Um, what if, in your, the way that you articulated it, was you need it in the background, not in the foreground. What if you were thinking about how you were cogitating and how you were uh, putting the verb and the noun in order in your mind for every sentence you had to say. It would be hard to say something very interesting, right? Right, right, sure. <laughs> and uh, this, the same is true for that, whatever it is your craft, whether it's playing the guitar or in this case, taking a picture, I think that's super astute. And if you're listening and wondering, well, what does that mean? That's why you practice craft. So you get so good, it becomes second nature, and then you're able to focus on the real thing, which is, in this case, telling an amazing story, creating an amazing image that has stopping power, emotional connection, textual, tech, technical proficiency, all the things that you just listed. Whew. That was a lot. Mm. I would like to hear, in your own words, what's next for you? You've had this incredible career, to bring it full circle, we talked about the arc, you made a joke about not so much of an arc, but clearly you've had an insanely successful career. This has made one of the most more serious interviews I've ever heard from you. You're a very funny, jovial person. Um, but I, what's next for you? Are you is, it, is it more pictures, more education? Is it, are you doing some travel, more personal projects? Um, how, do you, how do you think about the gas that you've got left in the tank? Where do you, how do you, where do you want to drive? Um, yeah, that's a good analogy. I, I, uh, uh, I, the, that's a nice thing, nice thing, listen to me, um, uh, about being a freelancer, as fraught as it is. Uh, as I always say, you know, this bus has got two flat tires and, you know, backfires and not very fast, but I still am able to drive it wherever I want to go. And that has power all in, unto itself. So I do have projects in mind. I have things that, I, that uh, I'm trying to get some funding for. I keep chipping away at uh, you know, a certain level. I have a tremendous interest in the performing arts, uh, not just ballet and, and dance, though I've photographed them for many, many years, but also just the idea of those performers who get on stage, whether they're circus people or athletes or, you know, uh, why do we spend 100 bucks on a ticket to watch this person? And I'm interested in that obsession 
that creates that persona that is the magnet that fills a theater. Yeah. You know, and that's uh, an ongoing, you know, kind of uh, self-funded. I self-assign myself a great deal. And then I hope things come around later. <laughs> you know, my studio manager occasionally is looking at me like, seriously? You want to spend know, that money? You're going to, like, you know. <laughs> How are we going to make that know, back? That, that day in the field cost us, you know, et cetera. You know, but she's the voice of wisdom and reason and um, tries to keep me pinging back and forth between these extremes and also keep me in the middle, you know, enough to, to, uh, to realize that I have a, a responsibility, you know, in addition to this kind of gad about, you know, let's go shoot some pictures attitude that I still have. You know, I still have a sense of adventure about it. I talk, talk about the adventure book. Let's turn another page in the adventure book. And so, yeah, I've got, I've got some things in mind uh, to keep shooting. Um, teaching is a component of our life at the studio. It's a very public component because to teach in this industry, you have to have that social media presence, project, you know, outwards, Twitter and this and that. So people might look and say, wow, he's teaching all the time. Underneath of it, the underpinnings in the studio are, are shooting commercial work and supporting this infrastructure, not with workshops, because they're lovely and they're wonderful, but they're not going to sustain a studio operation. You have to mix in um, shooting with that. And also, too, if you're going to teach, uh, I think continuing to shoot validates the uh, notion of being a teacher. Uh, so I think the mix produces good things on both sides of the fence for you. Uh, shooting in the field, um, there's no better way to learn uh, lighting, for instance, than to teach it. I've learned a lot teaching lighting, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, and vice versa. You know, the job that you just shot gives a certain immediacy to the way you teach, especially if you walk into a class and say, well, I shot this yesterday, and you show raw files. I'm very uh, open about that. You know, I, uh, I don't hide our process. Uh, there's nothing to hide. There's no mystery about this. We try to shoot good stuff. Uh, we don't do too much to it afterwards, and we deliver it to a client. There's, you know, a pretty straightforward, you know, train that I'm driving here. So I have no qualms about, you know, cloaking anything in mystery, you know, uh, or, or I have no qualms about revealing things. Yeah. You know, I don't try to throw a shroud over stuff. There's nothing to, there's no secrets to this business. There just isn't really, yeah. you know. Um, some folks might think there are, there are, but I don't subscribe to that theory. Yeah. Well, thank you for reminding us that are no secrets, for sharing your secrets with us, for continuing not just in this interview or show, but as you have done for a career. It's a treat. I call you my friend. It's a treat to have you on the show. And stay world class, man. Thank you so much. Well, hang in there. Thank you very much for being <laughs> and for the invitation. Thank you. All right. See you next time. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, 
please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.